welcome to the TD Club. I am Sean Curtis. Mike Mastovich is joining me. He is a reporter at the Tribune Democrat, as am I. And this is a venture of TD Podcast. And it's a show about football. It's a show about high school football, Mike. What are you looking at uh, for what's actually the second iteration of the TD Club? Well, I guess uh, hopefully some of this stuff that we did in the first one, uh, I I really enjoyed, um, you know, as it evolved, uh, started to go on location and interview some coaches and things like that uh, and some players. It'd be nice to either work something out where we're going to them or they're coming to us, uh, you know, just to, to get some perspective and insight from the guys who are out on the field. Because I think that's going to be the important thing about the show is it's not about us. It's about the kids. It's about the coaches. So high school football is still a big part of the fabric of this area. And it kicks off this week. Uh, what is it, like 11, 12 games on Friday. We got another game on Saturday this week. Our football preview uh, will be coming out on Thursday, which should be the day that this podcast reaches your ears. So if you haven't picked up a copy of the Tribune Democrat and checked out our football preview tab, please do so. It's going to be chock full of information on our 22 area high school football teams. And here we are, Mike. It's another season. Uh, Let's... Okay, I was not a part of the coverage last year. Uh, I was, un- unfortunately, I was furloughed because of the COVID-19 pandemic. But Mike, what were some of your experiences in 2020 in not only changing how you had to cover and report on games, but just in general, how it changed the game across the area? Yeah, there was totally uncertainty from week to week, uh, oftentimes, People would finish a game and they'd be wondering, will we be practicing? Will we be playing next week? I, I covered one game uh, late in the season in the press box, and we found out after the game a couple people who were in the media tested positive with COVID. So then there's a whole week of COVID testing and <laughs> and making sure you're okay to go to the next game and uh, different different things like there was just seemed like constantly uncertainty from the summer on when we had to. Uh, listen in or go to Zoom calls for the PIAA meetings, which um, normally would attract a few media members. They were like, um, you know, watching a, a major uh, blockbuster movie. Everybody was on there trying to find out uh, what the PIAA was going to do and, and how it was going to impact all sports. Uh, but there's so much interest in football that, um, you know, we're always following that all through the summer. There were delays, camp, there were so many new procedures, uh, precautions taken and things that the players and coaching staff had to do. The early games were just, it was crazy, no fans allowed. I mean, that's not crazy, that's what had to be done, but it was crazy to see that. Uh, we were, my first game was uh, of the year was Chestnut Ridge at uh, Bedford, and I think there was like three people there uh, because they didn't want to be unfair and you're only allowed a certain percentage and numbers. Another game I was at, I think at Richland, uh, they were allowed 17 fans, and. Different schools use different methods to make it fair so that parents from the players and cheerleaders and band could get the different games and there were lotteries, all kinds of innovative things. But the, the point is there was just total uncertainty on everybody's end from us, how we were going to cover stuff to the actual games, where they're going to be played, who was allowed to be in the games, who was allowed to play in them, who tested positive, who tested negative, a lot of craziness. And with that craziness, I think it was a learning experience for everybody heading into 2021. What did you learn? You know, what did our area teams learn? 
Well, I think talking to a lot of the players and coaches throughout last year, after the season and, and at camp this year, is I think everybody learned to appreciate the game, uh, appreciate a lot of the things that we perhaps took for granted pre-COVID, and people were just you know happy to go out in 90-degree weather and practice because uh, you know maybe you weren't allowed to do that last year. People were happy that at this point right now their parents are allowed to come to the games. You know the first half of the season last year you never knew who was going to be able to watch you. Uh, a lot of games were. I wouldn't say totally silent, but it was very quiet with uh, with the limited number of fans and uh, no bands playing and things like that. Um, so I think people learn to appreciate things, and they've also, uh, I believe, learned um, different methods to stay safer. Uh, some of the things we learned last year were, uh, you know, habits that uh, you know continue today that maybe you know prevent uh, prevent just common illnesses, not only COVID nineteen. And I, I said earlier, this is not a show about you or I or even Jake Oswald, who is also a member of our sports department, who will be appearing on occasion. But you've been at this for three and a half decades. How big is it for you to be in a situation where normal's coming back, at least in as normal as it can be, given what new developments there are with the virus? But it looks like, for the most part, everything's going to be all systems go as we remember it from 2019 and before. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy to, to see things uh, knock on wood moving forward. And uh, there's always still a little bit of, you know, worries and, and uncertainty and just hoping uh, things don't escalate for another wave. But right now, everything is looking like uh, this season's going to kick off and, and things are going to be as close to normal as they possibly could be at this point. I know it sounds weird, but... Um, so yeah, from my perspective, I appreciate the fact that I'll be able to, you know, go to a game on Friday night and um, you know be in a press box, talk to some people, see some fans, and and watch a football game be played. Uh, whereas last year at this time, you know, first you were wondering if it was ever going to be played, and then it was just such a different situation to be there. So uh, and we were fortunate to be allowed to be there because I know so many people, parents were. You know, you weren't allowed to go see your kid play, and if they were a senior, that was even worse, or if you're a band parent or a cheerleader parent. Uh, and we were among the fortunate group, the uh, the media that was allowed to go cover it, so we appreciated that. But uh, it's going to be nice to be able to go to games and see a lot of other people who you normally see there in the stands. I, and I, I would be remiss if we didn't take a little bit of time to offer a remembrance of a of a staffer, the Tribune Democrat, Corey Eisenberg, who passed away in April. She lived for this time of year. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, Corey just uh, was so devoted and dedicated to uh, local sports coverage, especially local high school sports. And football was, um, you know, one of those those things that she was so into. I mean, every week when we did the picks, she was <laughs> she was gung-ho on the picks. And uh, she was one of the people, too, that always loved, um, you know, taking an hour drive to cover a game uh, that, that might be somewhere farther on the edge of the coverage area. You know, she was always, uh, you know, willing to go see some of the smaller schools. And, and uh, she, she just went everywhere. And uh, it was beyond football. She was the same way with basketball. Track and field was... Uh, true love of hers and auto racing and uh, just um, she was a I worked with her basically 35 years we she started about three or four months before me in in 1986 
So uh, we, we've been through a lot to, together and uh, certainly do miss miss uh, Corey. And uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll be doing something at work. And I'll think, yeah, Corey's going to be happy about this. And then I'll think, well, wait, uh, you know, things have changed, uh, unfortunately, in that regard. But, um, yeah, we're still trying to do the kind of stuff that uh, would, would make her proud of the department. And we're going to move forward and uh, we'll always have a special memory of Corey. And there are going to be a lot of projects, not only just football related, but we're going to tie to Corey's memory and in tribute to Corey that anybody who is a reader of the Tribune Democrat will be happy to take notice when they take place. I Let's very quickly, we've got 22 teams in our coverage area, um, but who are some of the teams that you think are going to be standout teams? Yeah, there's a few that uh, you know are, are really shaping up to to look pretty tough, and it, obviously we had our uh, three conferences that are in the coverage area. Uh, we had our coaches' pools at each of those media days, and that revealed a lot of how the coaches felt. Uh, but in the Laurel Highlands, you've got last year's uh, uh, team that uh, kind of rolled through there. Bedford, uh, the coaches picked them number one, and they they went ten and one last year and uh, deep state playoff run and this uh, sub-regional title. They've got uh, Mercury Swain back as well as, uh, you know, a pretty strong cast with him. And Mercury was our uh, player of the year last year, the dual threat quarterback. Um, so so Bedford looks really tough. And, you know, Richland's on a nice run, uh, you know, for the last three, four seasons. Just the Rams have, uh, you know, just been lights out, district champions uh, in, in 6-2A for uh, three years in a row, and, and they've got Kellen Stahl back at quarterback, Griff LaRue. Uh, they've, they've just got a lot of people. They're going to have to replace some uh, very talented offensive and defensive linemen. Brandon Bailey said among the best uh, he's coached uh, in high school, and um, but he did say that a lot of guys were waiting in the wings and ready to go for for uh, replacing those guys. And then over in the Westpac, we had the coaches, a unanimous number one pick in uh, Wimber, uh, Coach Matt Groholt's team returned all but one starter, uh, 11 back on offense, 10 back on defense, and they, they've got Johnny Schuster. Uh, Aiden Gray's been quarterback for a couple years there. Uh, they picked up a new guy. Uh, their basketball star, Keith Charney, went out for football this year, and they're expecting big things out of him. Dylan Tomlinson, just a lot of a lot of great players at Wimber. And uh, the king of the conference of late, uh, Berlin Brothers Valley, uh, coming in number two in the pool despite huge graduation losses. Uh, 19 people graduated and guys like Will Spokart, Preston Four, you know, they, they're, they're losing quite a cast, but they're going to be relying on people like uh, Ryan Blueball to kind of keep that tradition going. And talking to Coach Doug Paul, um, he, he talked a lot about how they're, they're maintaining that tradition and guys are just eager to go in there and prove people uh, wrong who think, hey, they lost so many guys, Berlin's not going to be Berlin. So, um, those are two teams in, in the Westpac that are up near the top. And then you got Township and Portage and Conwell Valley, uh, you know, right right in the mix, too. And over in the Heritage, uh, you know, there's been a lot of change in the offseason. And one of the teams that moved over to Heritage, Cambria Heights, was uh, picked number one by the coaches. And they, they uh, Coach Jared Lewis's team has, um, you know, been in the Laurel Highlands prior to, to this season. And they were in the District uh, 6-2A championship game, lost to Richland last year. So they're, they've got uh, some talented people back, and there's, there's a lot of expectations with the Highlanders. And then right behind them, you've got a couple uh, 
the usual suspects in the Heritage uh, Homer Center. I was looking at their uh, offensive line, four starters back. Marion Center coming off a six and one season. Uh, Northern Cambria is always tough. So in those conferences, uh, a, lot, a lot of great things there. And then of course, one of our teams, uh, Ligonier Valley moved over to the Whippeal last year. And uh, Coach Roger Beidel seems to have uh, the Rams uh, looking really good in a very tough conference. They, uh, uh, looks like there's going to be some high expectations for the for the Rams uh, in the Whippeal this year. And uh, they're playing Indiana this weekend. And I was talking to Roger, and we between the two of us, we looked at all of our records, and they looked at their records, and we found that uh, this will be the first time Indiana and Ligonier played since 1945. So another interesting tidbit there. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of good stuff going around in, uh, with our teams in the three local conferences and in with Ligonier and the Whippeal. All right, we'll keep this uh, first episode, our, uh, our reboot episode, shorter than probably what you're going to expect here throughout the season. But one more thing that I wanted to touch on, Mike, and this is something that you've been following and tracking in multiple fronts during the offseason, and that is the merger of some programs. Uh, Shade merging with Conamon Township, Bishop Carroll Catholic merging with Bishop McCourt Catholic, and even though it's outside of our coverage area, Blairsville and Salzburg merged into one school now known as River Valley. Yeah, a lot of, uh, lot of activity happening. Uh, you know, starting off with the simple stuff, uh, I, we, I mentioned Cambria Heights moved from the Lower Highlands to the Heritage. Then Portage announced in the spring that Portage will move to the Heritage, but they're going to finish this year in the Westpac. So that's, uh, that's two moves there. And then uh, due to some low numbers um, uh, at Bishop Carroll Catholic, they decided to uh, form a co-op with Bishop McCourt Catholic, and the, the uh, District 6 and the PIAA approved that co-op late, right before camp, and Tom Smith at McCourt said it changed the whole outlook of the team from having like 30 guys at practice to somewhere in the low to mid-40s. He said it's changed everything in terms of depth. So you had that, and then as you had mentioned, Shade, uh, Back in January, we talked to uh, Don Fife and Paul Leonard about the Shade program being discontinued, and they were looking for a co-op. It took a few months, but they ended up landing with uh, Conamal Township. Talked to Tony Penna Jr., the coach at Township, and he said that the Shade guys and the Township guys, they have just formed a nice bond very quickly, done a lot of community service projects together. And uh, I talked to him like two days ago, and he was saying, like, you always look in that situation. Is there a click here or a click there? He said he sees all the Township guys with the Shade guys. Guys like uh, Braden Adams over at Shade was uh, – you know, star player there, and he's mixing right in with guys like Jackson Byer, who was a star at uh, Carnival Township. So that that's a, a neat situation there. And of course, like uh, like you said, Blairsville and Salzburg, two teams that aren't in our coverage area, but they merged together uh, to to form the the River Valley. So it'll be a District Six Two A school, and um, that right there, it looks like they're going to have some numbers, and um, they're picked by the coaches to be somewhere, uh, you know. A little bit better than the middle, number four in the in the preseason coaches conference uh, poll. And that was interesting because I, I can remember back to 2010 when Laurel Valley was closed and merged with Ligonier Valley, and immediately everybody just really feared that Ligonier Valley was going to become a super team, which it kind of did. I mean, the program has been very well off, a hiccup here or there since 2010 
And now you're looking at, you know, River Valley, which was picked to finish fourth. Um, you look at the Laurel Highlands coaches poll. Bishop McCourt was picked to be finish 11th. Exactly. And, yep. you know, Connemont Township, middle of the pack in the West Pack. So I, it'll be interesting to see because I, I think especially for smaller schools, having that merger, having that co-op, it just adds depth and depth is so valuable. Well, look at, uh, we, we didn't say them because they didn't happen this year, but last year, Ferndale was running into the numbers problem at the very late in the process. Co-op is approved to join football with Connemaw Valley. Both programs had been struggling, you know, in recent years. Both programs were low on numbers. Uh, they come together, and last year they were four, uh, Connemaw Valley went four and two, one of their better seasons, and two of their games were postponed because of COVID situations. Um, so who knows what would have happened uh, there, but um, they made the playoffs and and, uh, and lost a game to Bishop Guilfoyle, which was a powerhouse, and <laughs> they went deep, deep in the playoffs. So, so yeah, like Connemaw Valley and Ferndale kind of, you know, put a, a map together uh, last year and, and Ligonier even before that. And talking to coaches, everybody says this is probably the way of the future. Uh, in fact, there was so much talk we wrote about that maybe this could be either the end of the line or near the end of the line for the Westpac because there so many teams have left that they're all scrambling to find out where they're going to end up next year. As a, a group of them all applied for, to the inter-county conference as a group to see if there could be you know, like a Westpac portion of that. That was in the spring. There was That was going on. And then uh, Coach Grohall Wimber said that the Ramblers have applied to all three you know conferences that everybody's talking about, the Heritage, Laurel Highlands, and the inter-county. So – People are already looking where where are we going to land next year. They're being proactive, so that doesn't you know shows you there might be some uncertainty with the Westpac overall. Just where are the teams going to land? All right, and then looking at week one, what's maybe one, possibly two games that you're looking at as being maybe some of the bigger around the area? Yeah. Uh, I talked to a couple coaches last night for my Friday preview, uh, Tony Pena Jr. at Connemouth Township and Marty Slanock at uh, Portage. I think that's a kind of an intriguing game because, as we talked about Township, with the interjection of the Shade guys, and they already had some pretty pretty solid guys back. So uh, that's interesting. And Shade uh, at Portage had a great uh, season last year and uh, looking to take another step. They've got, got some very good skill guys back. So I thought that would be an interesting game. Uh, Bedford. At Central Cambria, Bedford, as we said, just uh, everything is pointed uh, in an up direction for them. And Central Cambria had a good season last year, four wins and uh, in a COVID-interrupted season. And they want to make a statement, and this is a great opportunity to, you know, make some kind of statement if, if they can uh, pull off a huge upset or else have a great game against the Bisons. So th- those are uh, two, of, two of the games. And, um, you know, Forest Hills finished strong last year. And um, they're, they're hosting uh, Bishop McCourt Catholic. So that'll be interesting there to see, you know, how much progress the Rangers have made and then what the uh, Carroll and McCourt co-op produces in that week one. I, I'm looking at two games that you didn't mention for week one, one being Bishop Guilfoyle Catholic at Greater Johnstown. Uh, there's always going to be a lot of interest surrounding that Trojans program. Well, everybody knows how uh, how tough Guilfoyle is and what they've done over the last uh, just about a decade. In fact, when I was doing the research, the last time Johnstown beat Bishop Guilfoyle was 2011, 
actually covered that game at Mansion Park. It was like 90 degrees, and <laughs> a bunch of uh, Guilfoyle players got hurt in the game, and, and a lot of young guys had to go in. And a few years later, those young guys that got in as freshmen and sophomores were playing in the state championship game. So I, I remember that. Guilfoyle's won six straight against Johnstown. Now it's at Trojan Stadium, which helps uh, Johnstown in some ways. Um, Johnstown, John Updike came on strong at the end of the last season as the uh, freshman quarterback who came in in the last few games because of an injury. And uh, I think the key with Johnstown is how well they've <clears throat> rebuilt that offensive and defensive line uh, to on the offensive side, obviously, to give the quarterback some time and to maybe produce some running yards on the defensive side. To you know, they've got to stop the run. Uh, that that was a, a big issue with them. So it would definitely be a huge upset if Johnstown could pull something off. And everybody knows Guilfoyle there are super tough. So that uh, that could be a, a interesting game. And the other one that I was looking at was uh, Berlin Brothers Valley at Myersdale. Always a rivalry. You know. Next door neighbors to each other, we we know what the Mountaineers can do. Red Raiders kind of slipped off a little bit last year, but yeah, yeah. What's what's the prognosis here? Well, I tell you what, Myersdale they were two and seven last year. Uh, they were picked uh, last in the Westpac by the coaches, but I mean, when you look at the point total, it was twenty eight for Myersdale, twenty nine for Northstar, twenty nine for Blackley. So it's not like people were saying, "Hey, these teams are head and shoulders above them," and. Uh, They've, they've got a, a young kid, Dalton Sellers, who um, is expected to do some great things. So here's the other thing. I was out there, um, boy, the years roll by so much, but it seems like maybe five or six years ago I covered, it was a Berlin at Myersdale game, and Myersdale was the heavy underdog, and um, they pulled off a huge upset against Berlin. Uh, Mountaineers were on the road, and it kind of tells me, you know, when you're playing at, at Myersdale and, uh, you know, those, those guys have a lot of pride and – I think anything can happen when you have a county rivalry like that. I, I think that that's a good stopping point for this mm -hmm. episode, Mike. So we're going to have a lot more as the season progresses. We just didn't want to overwhelm you yet with the depth of our knowledge and what we have planned for this show. So we appreciate everybody listening. We hope that everybody went out, got a copy of the Tribune Democrat for Thursday with the opening TD football preview inside. There's going to be a Saturday sports special section every Saturday during football season with recaps of all the area football games along with any other sports that happen and happen to be relevant to our readers. So, for Mike Mastovich, I am Sean Curtis thanking you for listening to the first, actually I should say the second first episode of the TD Club. And congratulations, you have made it to the end.